Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. It's good to be with you today. I have a dear friend of mine with me. His name is Brian Maley, and he is a church planter, and he's currently working in Vermont. And um, I am going to ask him some hard and difficult questions today. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to learn about his ministry. So, Brian, why don't you first start by telling us how you got saved? Because I think your story of salvation is just fascinating. Uh, boy, where do I start? Start, start, here's, here's where you need to start. Start with what you thought about Christian people okay. prior to your conversion. Uh, prior to my conversion, I, I thought Christian people were about the most sourpuss, horrible people in the world. Uh, they couldn't have fun. Uh, it was all about uh, tradition and, and legalistic things. They would go to church on Sunday, praise the Lord, holy rollers, and Monday through Saturday, they were, they were worse than what I was. I didn't want anything uh, to do with them. So your basic impression of Christians was that they were just hypoc- hypocrites. Absolutely. Um, but later on, I found out that was because of my uh, hardened heart that I would see them that way. All right. So you didn't want anything to do with Christians, mm-hmm. but now you're a church planter. Right. So yeah. how did you go from, I don't want anything to do with these people, to now you're a church planter? Uh, the Lord. It was all Him. He worked in my heart. I actually became a believer because of a church plant. Uh, there was a man uh, who mentored me by the name of Marvin Meeker, who I thought was one of those hypocritical men, and, and I would do anything I could to get away from him. Uh, and then just one day the, the Lord opened my eyes. My wife was going to a Bible study. To, to plant a church in South Whitley, Indiana, uh, and Marvin was the pastor there for that. And there was no way I was going to go to that Bible study. Uh, they had a, a chili cook-off, uh, and my sister did, in her garage for this church, uh, and it was for Thanksgiving. Uh, well, uh, Pastor Russ Simpson came, and he told me a joke about a three-legged pig. Tell us a joke. <laughs> Tell us a joke. Uh, it's corny, but you know what? It le- helped me go to the Lord. So uh, there's this, uh, there's this high-tech uh, uh, hog farm, and this uh, magazine company came out, and they were uh, talking about all the high-tech stuff. They had the feeders, the, the waterers, and just how it cleaned itself, and the breeding process. And, and there was this three-legged pig that kept running around on the farm, almost like a dog, and the, it had its own pen up by the house. So when the editor of the magazine got done with the story, he's like, okay, you know, this is really amazing, but I got to know, what's the deal with this pig? Uh, And uh, the the farmer, he said, you know, that pig, that's a special pig. He said, uh, when when it was younger, I see that well over there, my daughter fell uh, in that well. And that pig jumped its pen, got over and started squealing until we came and rescued my daughter. So we made its own pen up front here by the house. And, and then uh, one day, my, my wife, she was cooking bacon in the, in the house. And she was always feeding scraps to the pig out the door. And so one day when she was cooking bacon, the, the grease popped up and caught the, the curtains on fire. And uh, the smoke uh, made her go unconscious. The pig knocked down the door and pulled her to safety. And this editor, he was just amazed at this pig. And finally he said, well, what happened with its leg in the back? And he said, well, that's our favorite pig. And so we're eating it one leg at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, it was that point that I'm like, you know, Christians aren't really what I thought they were. Uh, and so my heart was opened up that day. And, and actually 13 years prior to that, I was out at the church that I'm working at today in Irisburg and a, and a, a lady there. Uh, who's actually my brother-in-law's mother, um, shared the gospel with me, and I was, I, I call myself a pierced punk. I had several piercings. Uh, I don't have anything against that, but, uh, and I had dyed hair when I had hair. No comment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she shared the gospel with me, and when I got home, she had sent a Bible to me with uh, a bunch of different 
um, uh, passages marked on it, and I didn't open that up until I became a believer, until I started following the Lord and make him my master. Wow. So 13 years later, you yeah. opened up. I'm amazed that you kept it for 13 years. Uh, I, I, yeah. I actually took that Bible, uh, and when uh, our team, Nehemiah, our uh, work ministry team that, that we had started, went up there, I preached at that church out of that Bible. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. What a, what a providential, circumstantial working of the Lord to bring all that about in your life. Mm, absolutely. And, I mean, so, okay, so you got saved, and... Mm-hmm. I want to come back to this idea of telling the joke as part of evangelism. Right. So I want to come back to that in a little while. So don't let me forget to do that. Okay. But you got saved. And how did you decide or how did it come about that you decided to enter into the ministry? Uh, So I became a believer in uh, November. uh, And I I kept my wife, through all of this, she was going to the Bible study uh, at my sister and brother-in-law's house there in South Whitley with Marvin, and she was taking my kids. She wasn't saying anything to me. Uh, she wasn't pressuring me to go. She was just going. And after that meeting, you know, I, I got to thinking, and, and the Lord was softening my heart. And I'm like, you know, I need to go with her. I need to go do this. Yeah, and it was one night that I, I talked to Marvin, and I accepted the Lord. That was in November. Um, Solid Rock actually started their very first church service at, at a school cafeteria. That May, I uh, came to conference in July at Drawbridge Inn, and Pastor Raymond Alinga was speaking. That was 2008. 2008, yeah. yeah. I couldn't tell you what he spoke on. I have no idea. I just I remember him speaking. And at that time, my wife and I had just recently built a house. We'd only lived in it for like four years. And, and I had always told people I was going to die in that house. Uh, it was my dream house. And we both looked at each other without any prompting, without saying anything, and simultaneously said, we need to sell our house. Word for word, we both said that. Uh, so that night, uh, my brother-in-law, we like to play jokes on each other. It was like 110 outside, and he decided, uh, we had left our adjoining room open on accident, and he came in and turned the heat up to like 100. So I was boycotting, and I was in his room at like 1130 because it was cool there, and we had ordered pizza, and, and I remember it. Uh, Jeff Dunham was on the TV. We're flipping through, and that's where it stopped. He's the the ventriloquist. Okay. And uh, I think he had his puppet Talbosh or something like that on it. Uh, I don't remember what it was saying, but all I just I looked at my sister and Dave, and I said, I need to go into the ministry. So the next morning, uh, I went into the uh, the auditorium where we're meeting. I was pumped. I was so excited. And Pastor Russ and Pastor Marvin were up by the stage, standing in the corner talking. And I marched right up to them, and I said, you know, I want to go into the ministry. I want to start Practorium. And Pastor Russ, just this huge laugh, like shoulder shaking. I'm like, what did I just say? Uh, He was laughing because of the classes that he was getting ready to start that I had to start with. <laughs> so they were already planning for they, you to start. They were, and uh, and it was it was hermeneutics, and I don't remember the other one. And so I went from being becoming a believer in, in November, starting a church, going to conference in July, and starting Practorium in September. So I hadn't even been a believer for a year, uh, and uh, I'll never forget the very first class. Uh, Pastor Russ was talking about Moses and the burning bush. And he said, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, though, because everybody knows about Moses and the burning bush. And I felt about an inch tall, and I couldn't slide down in my chair enough. I didn't know what the burning bush was, and I had no idea who this guy was, that Moses, that he was talking about. Wow. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was an eye-opening experience. You know, that experience, coupled with what you said earlier about the joke, I think says a lot about where our culture is, like the American culture, when mm-hmm. it comes to biblical knowledge right you know america used to be a judeo-christian centered culture Mm -hmm. so everybody even if you weren't a believer you went to church you went to sunday school you kind of like learned the traditional bible stories like david and goliath and moses and the burning bush and noah and the flood yep but now uh you're 41 i'm 34 we are witnessing to a generation of people who basically have zero bible knowledge right 
And as a church planner, how do you take that knowledge and um, between the fact that, you know, they don't know about the Bible and a lot of people have misideas about what Christians are, right. like bad ideas. How do you take that and use it for evangelistic purposes? Um, one thing that I do in my life, and, and every person is different, you know, the Lord gives each person different gifts, but I, I look back and see where I was and what I was destined for and to see what the Lord has basically plucked me out of that path and realize that we don't know how long we're here. And so I just kind of take the stance. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people, uh, how they say that I talk. I just got to get the gospel. I got I to gotta share it with them. And the number one thing that, that we have to get across first is who Jesus is. You know, if, if they don't understand who Jesus is and what he did for us, they're not going to understand anything else. Uh, one of my... One of my favorite tools and, and things that I do, I uh, about, I can't believe I'm going to say this, it's like 15 years ago now. It's, uh, when I talk, put it in words, it's, it's been a long time. But about 15 years ago, I worked at the police department, and we were trained for observation. You know, what are people wearing? What, what's their clothing, their shoes? Uh, when you go into their house, what's on their walls, what's on their tables? And so I've just brought that in to my life, is, is into the, my, my uh, evangelizing and so my favorite thing is tattoos. I don't like needles. Uh, they terrify me, and so I don't have any. But when people have a tattoo, they have it for a reason. They have it, they want to tell a story. And so that's the first thing I look at, is their tattoos, and they tell that story. And then it just it breaks into a natural flowing conversation. Uh, and it's my goal, every conversation that I have with someone, is to bring in Jesus. We look around, Christ gave us nature. He gave us the trees. He gave us the animals. I mean, everything that we have comes from him. And, and if we're really trying to do it, everything points back to him. And so the tattoos point back to him. Uh, so that's been a, a really big tool for me. But the number one... That, that's a really interesting point, that you would take somebody's tattoo. I've done that on a couple of occasions, especially when somebody has a tattoo in like Hebrew mm -hmm. or Greek. And then you walk up to them and say, you know, that looks like Hebrew. Right. What does that mean? You know, and they're surprised that you would even recognize it as Hebrew or Greek because very mm -hmm. few people do that. But that's a really good tactic. It, it does the same thing as the joke did. Right. Right. It breaks down that barrier of, you know, stodgy Christian. Yep. And it breaks down this barrier of, well, I only want to input into your life. I don't want to receive something from you. Absolutely. And I think that relationship building is it's such a two-way street. And the current crop of people, like millennials and mm -hmm. people who are younger than millennials, um, I think they really value relationship building. Absolutely, they do. Because even in a social media climate, like they're so inundated with social media. But real one-on-one -on -one personal relationships can never be replicated or duplicated online. So you've got to get to that point where you're having that one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. The tattoos thing is a great tip, a great practice to yeah. get into their life, to show them that, you, oh, here's somebody who cares about me. Well, and I, and I look back at, you know, remember when I said I was a tattooed punk, or not a tattooed punk, but a pierced, pierced punk. A yeah. pierced punk. Uh, I was calling out. You know, I was, at that time, I, I did not have a good relationship with my dad, and I, I knew he despised earrings. Uh, and so at that time when I went out, I had four of them. I had three in one ear and one in the other. Uh, and I, had had my, I hadn't had my tongue pierced yet, but that was on the horizon. Uh, and they didn't turn away. Now, how many times today do we, do we look at someone like that that's all tattooed and we're like, ugh. They're crying out mm -hmm. like we all are, just they're doing it in a more expressive way. Uh, and one thing I've learned, because I've, I've been blessed to be able to go overseas to Myanmar and, uh, and see those people. And the conclusion is people are people. You know, they all have hearts, they all have minds, and they all need Jesus. Uh, and even, even me, coming from where I came from, you know, I'll never be perfect until the Lord calls me home. And for me to turn away someone, uh, I just, nobody, they didn't turn me away. Sure. So. Yeah, I... 
it's such a thing that you wrestle with in church because like we have an idea about what we do in church. Like mm-hmm. we don't want to have seeker sensitive churches. Right. But at the same time, if somebody is seeking, we don't want them to come into the church building and feel so out of place and like there's nobody who's going to love them or care about them right. or something like that. And I think it's a real hard mentality for Christians who have been Christians a long time to break out of. Absolutely. And I think it's a hard thing for Christians who maybe have just grown up in a certain culture mm-hmm. and you're insulated from uh, the mainstream culture yep. to cultivate this idea or this desire to invest in those other people. And that's what we see Jesus doing often. Like he was accused by the Pharisees often of like, well, you're just hanging out with prostitutes right, and tax yeah. collectors and sinners. And, you know, look, you're a glutton and a drunkard. And obviously he was associating with the wrong kind of people. How can we do a better job as Christians of associating with the quote unquote wrong type of people that will lead to um, opportunities to share the gospel? How can we do that? Right. I think we need to leave our, bu- our baggage at the door. And, and we have to realize what Jesus did. And how would you describe our baggage? I mean, our, our past traditions or our past um, assumptions of, of things. You know, today, where would Jesus be? I don't think he'd be in a lot of the churches. He's going to be out at, at the bars. He's going to be out. Music uh, festivals. Yeah, music festivals, the, the drug recovery places. You know, he's going to be where the people are broken, and he's going to be serving them. Now, now he's not going to be partaking in those things. Right. And, and because of our culture, we're so concerned about going to those things because what somebody might think. Uh, you know, when I first got into the pastorate, we have to guard ourselves, you know, I promised my wife that I'd never be with another woman one-on-one meeting together just because you don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Uh, I don't, uh, when we're in a group of, uh, in a vehicle, uh, if it's not my wife or my daughter in the front, it's got to be a male. Even though the van's full, you know, we, we have to guard ourselves. But at some point, we have to understand what Jesus would do. So there's a real balance. And I think it, really is a challenge to the comfort zone right between like guarding yourselves against the temptation to sin or guarding yourselves against the appearance of evil Mm -hmm. all right that's a truism from the new testament but on the other hand saying okay how could i reach these people who are broken for christ right i mean we know that the healthy aren't the ones who need the physician it's the ones who are sick right and in our culture um man those who are sick they don't even know they're sick I love the fact that you have this giant black shirt that has sin written across the front. I do. Because sin is the like undefinable term. Nobody can tell you what sin is Mm -hmm. in our culture anymore. How does that go when you use that as an evangelistic tool? (laughs) Uh, That's probably one of my biggest tools other than the tattoo. Uh, I've had people say, oh, I love your shirt. Well, with me, that's probably the wrong thing to say because I instantly ask them, why? Oh, because everybody's always talking about sin and how bad it is, and you're so bold, you're, you're saying that it's okay to sin. And then I turn around, and there's a big red cross on the back of it. I said, no, it's not okay to sin. I said, let me tell you what sin is. You know, sin is going against anything that Christ says, and we do that on a daily basis, but because of the blood of the cross, we're saved from that sin. And it's just been this huge tool. Uh, and actually, when you and I were studying for my exam, uh, we were talking about in times and, and talking about in the book of Revelation. I had that, that shirt on uh, and I went into Home Depot. Well, this guy comes in uh, with this worker and he sees it and he's a believer and he's a bold believer. And he came up to me, he goes, sin, how can you be wearing that? Don't you know what sin brings you? Uh, and I, after, you know, I let him cool down and I told him, I said, you know, I'm so glad you said that. Let me turn around. And I showed it to him and he was just, it instantly just opened up a door and at that time I was carrying my Bible everywhere with me because every chance I could I was studying so I should turn to Revelation and I started talking to him about end times and and he's like man we never hear this at our church hmm. and I said really uh, and and so we got to talking about uh, on that conversation what was a half hour later because I mean it's Home Depot and you have to spend hours in there yeah you do of course <laughs> um, and lots of money <laughs> uh, yeah unfortunately uh, but you know, it was like half hour later, he brings one of his co-workers over. He's like, come here, you got you to gotta talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy. 
And, and we ended up talking for another 20 minutes. And he gave me his number. And, and when I was living here in Michigan, we would contact each other back and forth. But some people think it's a bold move, you know, to put that up there. Um, but look at how, how much time we spend on our clothing so we look good. Which, yeah, I know. Look at me. I have this nice. Well, pink. and then you got me. <laughs> There's nothing that I look good in, so I don't care. Uh, but, but do we spend as much time on, okay, how can I open up a conversation for Christ? Right. You know, how can I bring him glory? And I wish, honestly, Brian, I wish, like, my gifting is not in evangelism. I'm not a naturally gifted evangelist. Now, I can talk to people. I don't right. have a problem talking to anybody. I'm really good at one-on-one -on -one situations, as you know. But, man, I, I, I am praying for the boldness to be able to get a sin shirt so that I can wear that around. Well, but, you, you know, know that's... you say that, and you know just as well as I do, my gift is not one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, yeah. my, my gift is not teaching. And that's one thing that we need to understand as Christians. Uh, and I even, I, I even hold back on saying the word Christian anymore just because of being overseas. Because if you're not Muslim or Buddha, Buddhist, you're Christian. Mm. Uh, and, and so I, I try to say I'm a follower of Christ or, or a believer, but you know just as well as I do, God has called us all for our individual gifts, and we are the body that needs to work together. So where is, you know, you're like, I want that boldness, and, I, and that's awesome if you do, but I want the ability to be able to teach solidly and in and, and depth. Right. You know, I, I can go through Romans Road with you all day long. I can share the gospel with you all day long, but, but when it comes to the, the meat and potatoes sort of stuff, you know, I got to study a lot sure, sure. Uh, to do it. So. Well, I think because we're both pastors, uh, and you look at what Paul wrote to Timothy in mm -hmm. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I mean, there, there is a charge or a command to pastors, you know, it's preach the word. But as you're preaching the word, you don't, don't forget to do the work of an evangelist. Right. And, and so... He, Paul recognizes that his protege, Timothy, was probably much better at preaching the word than doing the work of an evangelist. And so as pastors, we have strong points and weak mm -hmm. points, and Lord willing, we can be put in a situation where those complement one another. Absolutely. So, Brian, let's change gears a little bit here. Um, talked a little bit about evangelism, about your gifting. I want to hear about what your current ministry is, okay. and I want to hear... Like, so we just finished talking about how you have a gift and other pastors have different gifts and how they complement one another. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing in your current ministry and how you've partnered up with some pastors who you believe have some complementary gifts to yours. Absolutely. Uh, a year ago, we started talking about this revitalized Vermont um, uh, mission that we're on. I was pastoring a church here uh, in Michigan uh, it was a good-sized church of, of around 100, and I was totally blessed. I mean, it was amazing. I could have retired here. My kids had their friends here. and, and my I'm, I'm noticing friends. a trend, too, because, you know, when you lived in Indiana, you were yeah. like, I'm going to die in this yeah, house. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then uh, earlier this week, actually last night at the mission presentation, you said, uh, I can retire in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and and uh, so now tell people what happened. Uh, well... <laughs> You don't, I've learned, I'm starting to learn not to say this stuff because the Lord, you never know what the Lord's going to do. Uh, he just surprises you. Uh, I just want to follow him. So we, we, we were talking to Pastor Scott and Pastor Ethan out in Michigan, and our Michigan, out in Vermont, uh, Irisburg and the Moyle Valley. And uh, the Irisburg Grace Brethren Church was built in 1978, and, and they were up at one point around 150 people. Wow. Uh, and at that time, they were down to around 13 when we started talking. 13 people. 13 people, yeah. Uh, it was hard. It was hurting. And it was amazing to hear Pastor Scott say last night at the presentation that if you hadn't have come, they'd probably be closing their doors this year. Right. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to credit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, what, what I'm saying. Say, is, yeah. What I'm saying is uh, obviously the melding of your gifts with their gifts has been a blessing to that ministry. Well, and that's what I was gonna, gonna say, because when people say that, I'm like, no, it's not me, trust me. It's us following the Lord and the Lord blesses. Because uh, 15 years ago, Irisburg actually planted a church in the Moyle Valley where Pastor Ethan's at, and they were up around 80 people. And now they're down to around, you know, they were down around 15, now they're up around 40. 
And so we got to talk, and I'm like, okay, what's this going to look like? And, and I kind of alluded to it in our presentation last night. Uh, the pastor, Ethan, was trying to explain me to his people, and he explained to me, uh, explained me as a hummingbird on steroids, meaning that I can't sit still, and I'm constantly moving, and, <clears throat> and I'm just always on the go. And I said, why'd you pick a hummingbird? Because I am not that small. <clears throat> he, says, he said, it's the only thing I could think of that's constantly darting around and moving and never sitting still. Uh, and so we, we really started to formulate this plan, not just for Vermont, but for our entire fellowship. It's, it's been on my heart for years. Actually, when I started up in Michigan, I was just going to go up there to finish my schooling. And then I ended up staying there because I wanted to go plant a church. Sure. So, you know, I came, I became a, a believer through a church plan. And so that was my heart. Well, then, you know, we have 10 pastorless churches in our fellowship right now and, and some other ones on the verge of that. We have some real hurting churches. That's, we, that's we do. the truth. Um, and so I got to think, Lord, what do you want? And we started looking at Scripture. And, and you know, Paul returned to the places that, that he planted. And I didn't plant Irisburg, but that's where it all started for me. Uh, and it seemed like the most logical thing, and we prayed about it. And where we thought was it was the most difficult task to do, the Lord, he just opened up doors. So we formulated this plan. Yeah, and we're kind of jealous. I have to say this because we were trying to, we were appealing for you to come to Gibsonburg, you were, you Ohio. Were. <laughs> and obviously, the Lord had different plans. Uh, my so. wife was appealing for me to go to Gibsonburg, <laughs> Ohio. I bet she was. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's a, she's a great support. Um, but we, you know, and actually Gibsonburg was kind of what we used uh, as a model. So take a moment now and spell out, all right, because I think what you're about to share yep. is kind of really radical for a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. I mean, churches in America have traditionally had a congregational-based government, right? where because we live in America and we think about, you know, everybody's voice is equal and everybody gets their say, that we all vote and then things get done. Mm -hmm. But that's really not the New Testament model no. for how a church should run. So could you lay out for us uh, yep. how the churches in Vermont changed the way that they did things to be more biblical? Yeah, for the first, we, we got there in November, uh, and it took us up and through December to get things worked out. We had some Settled. Yeah, we had some problems with our house that we had to get settled in there. But January, we, we hit the ground running, and we started having all-day meetings where we had lunches brought in and uh, we were going to stay there and we we're going to hash all this stuff out all the way to you know how did we get to this point lack of communication poor leadership and the elders of both churches came together and started meeting together and started bouncing ideas off of each other started kind of formulating our plan of what our gifts were and, and what areas that we could serve in and the thing that was really neat is somebody told me no uh, I've never had that before. You know, I've just, they're like, okay, let's do this. Let's go. And it might not have been the best idea, but they yeah, told me. Yeah, because for people who don't know you, you're an ideas guy. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you just have all these ideas, and you just start throwing them out there, and hey, if one of them works, then let's do that. And if not, we'll come up with five other ones. Absolutely. Yeah. And it wears somebody, it wears you out. It can. Uh, but I was, uh, I've told people this over and over again. They told me no, and they're like, you were excited. They told you no. I said, yeah, because we were finally working as a team. And that was, that was the joy is, you know, all five, six of us were there together. And, you know, Craig Noyce, who you talked to yesterday, yep, yep. he's an elder at Irisburg. And so he was in on a lot of this. Uh, we did a lot of reading. We did a lot of um, ideas and going to different seminars. And we, we, we did it as a joint group instead of one person. How did the church respond to this change in leadership or change in organization? Because... Really, you weren't just dealing with one church. Right. You're dealing with two churches and two different elder boards that were committing to work together. How did the churches deal with that? Well, that's the, that's the funny thing. They, they already had an eldership board leadership set up. They just weren't doing it. Okay, so the idea in the people's mind was, yeah, we have elders who lead us. Right but the elders weren't actually following through in that leadership. Correct. Okay. And, and our first, cause they have family advisory meetings. They don't do it four times a year, which was a blessing. Uh, but the first meeting we had, 
somebody spoke up because we were trying to give them ideas and tell them what we were looking for. And, and somebody spoke up and said, just lead us. Just lead us to where we need to be. Hmm. And that was so refreshing. Wow, that is. This, the churches are ready. You know, they're ready to move forward. Uh, so we did. The, the elders continued to meet, and we formulated plans, and we, we structured things to work to our gifts. You know, Pastor Scott, he's a phenomenal teacher. He is through and through a teacher. Uh, Pastor Ethan is a teacher and a behind-the-scenes kind of a person getting things done. I'm more upfront, evangelistic, outreach kind of stuff. So we sat down for two days, and we formulated plans. Okay, you're gonna, you can do this part, but yet you got to train other people to do th- do these with you and uh, and it was the same thing for all of us so we came up with our our kind of our theme that we use is connect grow serve uh, and somebody had made the comment around March there you know they've been here for what, five months now and, and nothing's really going on you know we're not getting anybody new in which there were new people in there and so I felt led to get up front and give a message on the church itself. What is the church? And now you're talking, you not in front of the College of Pastors, no. but you're talking about in front of which, which of the churches that this you're- This was Irisburg. Irisburg, okay. At Irisburg first. Uh, and I basically said, you know, I have two words that I like to use, inreach and outreach. Outreach is we're reaching out to the community, which the church is supposed to do. Correct. Which neither church was doing. But inreach is taking care of our people that are here now, discipleship moving forward and growing. That wasn't happening either. Uh, I, I, w- I would get there for service. Service was supposed to start at 10. People were getting there at 10.05, and they were gone as soon as he said amen at the end of the prayer. And I said, you know, we can't do anything unless we're an actual family. And that's one thing that helped me grow spiritually when I was down at Solid Rock we were literally family. It was my sister and brother-in-law and some other outsiders, but we functioned as a family. We had gatherings together. We had Christmases together, Thanksgivings together. We knew when things were happening. If somebody was in the hospital, everybody knew it. And it wasn't just the pastor going uh, to see that person. When, when a child was sick, everybody was bringing food. It was a genuine family. I think George Barna, I think, I think it's Barna, he does uh, some surveys yep. on the health of a church, mm-hmm. and he has demonstrated that health of a church is directly correlated to how long people stay in fellowship after a service. Absolutely. And I know at my church in Gibsonburg, we're really blessed. We are like a family. And there are many Sundays that I'm leaving with my kids, and there's still 20 people still there fellowshipping. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that, you know? I mean, why kick them out? Let them, let them be there. They came all this way, they're talking, and let them build those relationships. Well, through the Connect part, because that's kind of the, the section that I took, that's how Irisburg is now. Okay. And, and the Moyle Valley is getting there. It's, Give everybody a, a quick rundown of what this is, Connect. Okay, Connect, connect is we have to connect the people together we'll first. We'll do the whole mission statement first. Okay, so it's moving people to, towards maturity through Connect, or making Jesus famous by moving people towards maturity through Connect, Grow, Serve, Colossians 1, 28, 29. Okay. Uh, and so we started with the connect part. We're getting the people connected. Uh, and that's to one another. To that's one, the in-reach yes, part of this. to one another yep. so, that, so that when somebody's in the hospital, because like, they'll go to the hospital and they won't call anybody. Yeah. It just, you know, so we don't know how to pray for them. But now they're doing that, but we're even, we even have coffee on Sunday mornings. Some people are like, why? Or, oh, what we do? But coffee's a big thing. It is. And people sit around and, and they talk and they drink coffee. And People have this misconception about coffee. Absolutely. Like if you have coffee on, on a Sunday morning, you're just trying to be like a mega church. No, I know. But I know. The, the reality is we found at our church that having coffee and if somebody brings in some baked goods or something yep. like that, juice or milk or whatever, it gets people to church earlier. Mm-hmm. Our classes still don't start on time, but at least everybody's there. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, at least everybody's there, and our coffee time starts 30 minutes before our Sunday school, and I would say the majority of people who are coming to Sunday school are arriving 20 minutes before Sunday school so they can get coffee 
have some time with their friends, and really connect with other people in the church. Well, and, one, and it's, it's great for that. Well, and the thing is, like you said, baked goods, they're, like we have a family there. They have eight kids um, trying to get them to Sunday school and getting breakfast, getting breakfast and, and everything stuff. else. Yeah. Well, if it's already there for them. Makes it easy. It makes it way easier. And, you know, with the coffee, people sit around, they, they talk, and they're not spending the money. But it's the third part of our mission statement, Connect, Grow, Serve. The pastors aren't doing that coffee. They're not doing the baked goods. We have a, a group of ladies that they're doing that. And they come in early. They're there at 8.30, service doesn't start till 10, making coffee and getting things ready. They're serving uh, where they can. And, and so then the grow part is, you know, Sunday mornings is, is a place to start, but it's not real in-depth. And so we have to connect each other, know where they're at, then to be able to move into small groups and do one-on-one -on -one discipleship. I'm discipling myself six different people, three from, from down at Lamoille Valley and, and three up at Irisburg. And the way we talk about grow, let me just input this here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about you know, not just having an in-depth sermon, right? but we're talking about taking that in-depth sermon and putting it into practice yes. throughout the week so yeah. that your life on Tuesday reflects the truth that you learn on Sunday. Right. And that really... I think happens best in a discipling type of relationship where, you know, you imitate me as I imitate Christ right. and you're working with that other person and they're seeing, oh, okay, so this is how Pastor Brian handles his family when mm -hmm. his kids are being disobedient. Uh, that's really honoring to God, you know, in the way that he did that. Same thing for me, you know, when people come over to my house for hospitality and they watch how we interact with our kids. Uh, they either see me being a good example right, yep. of how to do it or a poor example well, of how to do it. That's what I was going to say. They also see that you're human. Exactly. And that you have. we all have our shortcomings. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's been so neat about it. Uh, you know, with And it gives more weight to your words from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Like if people know your life and they know that you struggle with this or you struggle with that, not that we're trying to glorify the struggle, right? but if they see that you know, the pastor is not just this perfect person, like this packaged person. I think it brings a lot more weight to the words that you bring from the pulpit. It, it goes back to, and it's part of my testimony, and I, I don't bring it up a whole lot, uh, and I'm not going to name the, any names, but when I first started going to church, uh, I, I got to know this pastor really well, and we hit it off phenomenally well. And so I was attending church for a year. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't paying attention at all in service. I just liked the pastor. I thought he was a neat guy. Uh, we had a lot of things in common. And he actually started a Bible study at our house. Well, I was falling asleep during the Bible studies. I, I didn't care, whatever. And then one day he was gone. He wasn't at church anymore. So we, we were driving about 45 minutes to church, and I knew exactly what time we had to leave or we were going to be late. And so I would... I would lay there and I'd watch the clock. And when it was one minute past that time, I'd get up and I'm like, oh, can't go, sorry. So we would go do other things. I didn't, and because this pastor was gone and I later found out why he was gone, I'm like, are you, why did you do this? I can't believe as a church you, you dismissed him this way. Mm. And so I didn't go to church for a year after that. I didn't have anything to do with it. Of course, I wasn't a believer then. And then I came out, you know, I was in Vermont, or actually that was before, after I went to Vermont. And finally, after a year of this, the entire church praying for me, I became a believer, I went to school, and I sat down with, with Pastor Russ, who was there, and I talked to him about this, because it was really on my heart and bothered me. And it wasn't until I sat down and saw that it was a biblical reason why he wasn't there anymore. But because of my hard heart, I didn't want to see it that way. And as believers, we have to make tough decisions. And sometimes people see us as heartless. Jesus wasn't heartless, but he gave us scripture to be able to lead by. And so we have our shortcomings, and we make mistakes, but he still gives us grace. And then that's all part of the growing, where mm -hmm. you're investing in somebody else's right. life. They're seeing you, and they're investing in your life. How, what about the serve aspect of this mission? The serve part, we don't like to see it, but it's a command. Yeah. If we truly love Christ, we're going to serve. 
Now, not everybody can speak on a Sunday morning, and I don't recommend it. But at some point in our life, if we are truly followers of Christ, we want to serve him in any way we can. And there's so many different ways to serve in the local church. The one thing that we're really working on, we're really starting to stress, is there's all kinds of places to serve. You know, there's all kinds of um, ministries, yeah, ministries, para-organizations that we can serve in and really get involved in. And they're good ministries, but is it glorifying the local church? What Christ has set up, are we putting enough time in the local church? And so as we are growing, we're starting to realize, okay, I need to get involved. It's, it's not just the pastor's job. It's my job then to start serving. Okay, you know what? I see that young kid over there, and I have been through what he's been through, and I'm going to disciple him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my arm around him, and I'm going to come up with him and, and take him through Scripture. But if there's a question that comes up, I know where I can go to get that answer. And so we're starting to work on that part with the service. I am not a sit-down Bible study kind of person. I'm more of a, you stand up, okay, let's go build a house, but do a Bible study as we're building the house. Yeah, talk about truth as yes, we're doing something else. Absolutely. And honestly, that's how a lot of men mm-hmm. prefer to learn, you know, like, yeah, let's go, go out and split firewood. Mm-hmm. And as you're splitting firewood, you have opportunities to talk about things. Well, And everything we do always turns back to Christ. You know, I love Tanner, right? It's an explosive so every chance we get, we'll go out and we'll blow something up. But it's such a representation of, on a daily basis, what Christ does for us. You know, there, there might be like a piano there, and it's all put together, and you put tannerite in it, and you blow it up, and it's in a million pieces. Well, how many times does that happen in our lives where we feel like our lives are in a million pieces? Now, we don't put the piano back together. We burn it, and it's gone. But Christ puts us back together, mm-hmm. and we always rely on him and always come back together. So everything we do, and in my life, it's, Everything that I'm doing has to be for a purpose. It has to be for Christ. My kids get irritated with me because whenever I'm with a youth group, we'll go sledding or something. And I remember one time they're like, you're always preaching. Everything you do is preaching. And I said, no, everything we do is God. And everything has an illustration or something through Christ. And as believers, we have to have a heart that way, and we have to mature to a point where it's not overbearing, but it's a life, and it's what Christ wants us to do. I mean, I think that's the perfect illustration of how God intended it to be in the Old Testament, where fathers, as you're walking by the way and doing this task, talk to your children about mm-hmm. things of the Lord. Absolutely. I mean, that's a perfect ex- illustration of that, you know, even sledding, you know. Look, when we had a lot of snow this past year, in, in Northwest Ohio, we didn't have nearly as much as Vermont, <laughs> and I'm not even going to bring that up, because uh, <laughs> that's a rabbit trail. <laughs> We had like we had like six or eight inches of snow one day, and my oldest daughter, she's eight, she was seven at the time. We're standing there looking out the window. I said, "Did you know that every one of those snowflakes is different?" It's different. And she was like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah, that that shows the power of God that He can make every single snowflake different from every other one." Absolutely. And you you start thinking about all the snow in the world, and you're like, "Man, that is an infinite amount of snow, but it's not really infinite." <laughs> yeah, I know. God is infinite, and it magnifies Him. And, you know, I didn't even think about it because I love snow, but I didn't want to see any more this winter. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. All of that snow that we had, every flake was different. Yeah, Vermont got a record snowfall this year. Yeah. I think it was over five feet in yep. a lot of places. It was. Yeah. Uh, and as we were shoveling it, I was not thinking about the different snowflakes. But it just amazes me that, that God is so powerful every single one of those flakes were different every one of them Uh, and it's well god is certainly a powerful god and we want to give credit and glory to god where it's due so i know that in the american culture it's like hey what are your numbers because numbers tell everything oh i know but you know i do think it's encouraging to hear the report about what's happened in vermont as you've been up there these seven months now Mm -hmm. Um, really, seven months working on your ministry. You've been up there about nine months altogether, you know, including right. the move. So would you just share with us some of the numbers of how y- true biblical leadership, true pastoral leadership has affected the church? Uh, it's, it's actually been huge. Uh, Pastor Scott announced last night what the average was for the year of last year. But at this time last year, they were at like 13 people. 
Okay, so a year ago they had about thirteen about, people coming. About thirteen people on a, on a normal basis. Okay. And two weeks ago we had fifty six. Okay, that's excellent. Uh, and we've been upwards of sixty four uh, before, which is amazing because a lot of those people that had left before, they're coming back, or some of them are new faces. Uh, and one of them is is a guy that that we just go out and we do things together, and he's really responded and, and he's does amazing things around the church. He's serving. You know, he's already had some growth, and now he's serving. We're down at Lamoille Valley, they were around, you know, 20 to 30, and they're up at 40 now. But what's amazing about that is their giving is going up. Oh, praise the Lord. It, 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 you know, Pastor Ethan is part-time there, and it's a full-time job to be a pastor. And it is. Some. It is. And so he's trying to work part-time, but their giving is going up, and they have a new family that's praying about becoming members there. That's excellent. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's so encouraging. When you're there and you're in the heart of it, it's really easy to get down and get dark. And uh, But then coming back here to the Midwest and seeing all the stuff that we have that we took for granted before, but then talking about it. Like right now, as we're talking about this, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm like, you know, the Lord's at work there. He really is. Yeah, because I think there were a number of pastors in our fellowship who yeah. were like, don't go to Vermont. Oh, there were. We've already several. tried that. It's just too dark. You can't yeah. do that. Vermont, you know, dead, whatever. I had a pastor sit down and try to talk me out of it for an hour. Wow. Yeah. And you know what? I think those people are well-meaning. They are. I think they're not, they're not like opposed to you or nope, the spread all. of the gospel. I think they're just trying to say, you know, where's the best investment of yep. our time? But if you're looking at, you know, these numbers, not as a, um, a stamp of approval on the ministry, but certainly a marker that the Holy Spirit is working. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I think that that's what's encouraging, that the Holy Spirit is working. And we're looking forward to what the Holy Spirit will continue to do, you know, throughout your time in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Now, are you willing to go on record and say that you want to die in Vermont? Or Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long do you think this process will be? You know, if it keeps going the way it does, three years. Three years. Um, and then you want to do what after that? Well... The plan is to plan a church. Uh, I'm not going to say specifics. Sure, that's fine. But there's already a place that we could plant one now. In Vermont. In Vermont. Okay. Uh, and I'll probably within the next year or so, we'll start working towards that. But I can't do that until both churches are strong. Right. And we have somebody else to come be part of a team. So tell us a little bit about what your needs are. You know, you just mentioned somebody to become part of your team. What does that right. look like? Who are you looking for? We need another man, uh, another pastor that, that comes up that has a heart for church planning, but also revitalizing to be able to, to do Bible studies and to, to maybe be biovocational for a little while. Because with Vermont, it, it is such a spread out place. It's almost a plus to be biovocational. Uh, if, if it wasn't for the house that the Lord had provided for us, and my kids' hearts, which we didn't even talk about that, but their heart to serve, and the ministry that they're starting in our barn, I wouldn't have near the contacts that I have now. Wow. Uh, and probably three-quarters of our contacts are coming from that, that my daughter and son are doing, that I'm just helping with. Uh, and it's all over the state of Vermont. It's not just in Irisburg or Lamoille Valley. It's, it's everywhere. So our plans are to possibly plant a church, but I don't want to put specifics on it because if the Lord was to call me away tomorrow and I knew it and it was evidently clear, we would pack up and we'd go where he'd tell us to go next. All right. That's a great heart, great attitude. Tough on your family, but it is. You know, when you serve the Lord, um, he asks us, he says that there's a cost for discipleship. There is. So you need a team member, another yep. teammate. So we need to be praying about that. Yep. What else do you need, Brian? Um, our financial situation, the cost of living in Vermont is wicked high. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people ask, well, how high? What do you mean? Is, is gas prices high? No, they're comparable. It's the food. Sure. And taxes that cost so much. You know, um, We were so used to 95 cents a gallon for milk here. At all times, we'd have eight gallons of milk in the fridge at all times. Now it's one gallon a week because uh, it's 
My wife got it on sale for three dollars and eighty-four cents the other Whoa, day. Whoa, three dollars and eighty-four cents! Yeah, Wait, I know. Don't they have cows in Vermont? They have lots of cows in Vermont, but because of the taxes and the way things are, they ship it to New York or Pennsylvania. <laughs> they don't even keep it in state. They they do not oh, keep it in state. What a bummer! State. Yeah, we live right down the road from the, one of the biggest dairies. You need uh, to go figure out a way to siphon off some milk from that dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> trade uh, trade him something. <laughs> Yeah, well, in eggs, you know, we've seen eggs in, uh, from like $3 to $5 a dozen. Holy smokes. So our financial support, right now we're at 61%. Okay. Uh, we were at 75% when we went out there, um, but we lost uh, a pretty substantial supporter, you know, not against hey. them. They, things, lost, his job. they lost their job. Yeah. Things happen. Uh, but we know the Lord called us out there, and the Lord has provided in many other ways other than finances, so that's why we know that that's why we're supposed to be there. But we are at 61%. We're about $1,000 short. Per month? A, a month. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So let's talk about how can people reach you. If, if somebody's listening to this and they want to support your, mm-hmm. um, really not your ministry, but the Lord's work in Vermont Lord, yep. that you're doing, yep. if people want to give towards that, how can they contact you? Or where can they go to find out more information about you? Uh, well, we have, our, we have a webpage, revitalizedvermont.org. Okay. But then we also have Facebook, which most people use today, and it's, it's just Revitalized Vermont. Okay. Um, they could also email me. It's bmailey, bboy, and mary, adam, malinkin, edward, Young at yahoo.com. Oh, I'm sorry, it's bmailey78 at yahoo.com. But then they can also send the support to Steve Burns in Iowa, and I don't have that address off the top of my head. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. In the um, podcast notes, I'll make sure I put all of that contact information okay. down. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to give, um, just go down and check out the program notes, and we'll have the links there for you so that you can check out the work that the Lord is doing in Vermont through Brian Maley and his family and the other pastors who are there. And also you can give uh, that way too. Yeah, and also if they go to our website, they can click and sign up for updates every month. Okay, great. Email newsletter. Yep. Brian, is there anything that we didn't cover today that you want? folks to know about you, your ministry, the Lord's ministry, uh, what's going on? I don't necessarily think for me, uh, I just, you know, prayer requests, pray for my kids. I have five kids. One of them lives in Michigan here. Um, the other four are with us. Uh, I have a, a 17-year-old, almost 16-year-old, a six and a four-year-old. Uh, they've done okay, but it's a struggle. Same for my wife. They've been there. They've been great support. They miss Michigan but they're making the best out of it. And I guess if I could just say anything, you got to follow the Lord. If the Lord is telling you to do something, do it. It might, it might be the worst thing in the world at the time that you think it is, but it's worth it. And we don't do things on this, for this earth. It's, it's for our eternal life. And to know where I came from and where I was heading, just to know that maybe one person may be in heaven because of how the Lord has used me is worth it. Amen. Man, that's our, that's a hope of us all. Absolutely. For sure. Well, Brian, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it, brother. Well, I appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks, man. Take care.